Thank you, Angelina. That was a beautiful Father's Day offering. If you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians in chapter 5. And I want us to all just to give a shout out, praise the Lord for the rain. Ready? Praise the Lord. Now y'all can do better than that. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, I see Brother Mac out there. He counts our numbers every day, every Lord's Day, and we're grateful for that. He owns a mowing business. I told Linda when it started to rain, I said, I bet he's back there speaking in tongues on the back, on the back row of the church. He's so excited. Business slows down a little bit for the farmers and the mowers. And uh, we're grateful for the rain. The Bible says the unfailing love of God is like the fresh rain on the mown grass. And um, we praise God. Gives us hope, refreshes our our thinking. I know we were down in Mississippi a week ago and their corn's a lot higher than ours up here and a lot greener. And uh, of course they plant a little earlier than we do here but uh, it's a lot greener. So we we needed the rain. I have uh, two passages of scripture today I want to share with you. Uh, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, the one I've chosen for Father's Day is to be gentle Hence the word gentleman. I started to change the title, How to Become a Gentle Man. Um, but I want it to apply to not just men today, but women also. But I, wanna, I really want to focus on the men of our congregation. Uh, fathers, grandfathers, or, or just a man in the room. Uh, I want you to think a little bit about this gift of the Holy Spirit working gentleness in your life that you can truly be called a gentleman. A gentleman. Uh, if you watch C-SPAN, how many of you watch C-SPAN? Okay, I thought so. Um, if you watch C-SPAN, you watch the Senate and the House, and the moderator will call upon the gentleman from Missouri or the gentlewoman from New York. And that is a custom we've had ever since we've had a Congress to refer to each other as gentlemen or gentlewomen. And it is a title of respect. It's a title of honor. And uh, we have come to understand from Scripture that God has given to us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is the word gentleness. Gentleness. We want to understand what that means. Now, the word gentle in the Bible can be also translated humble. Humble. Someone who is humble, who walks humbly with God, and walks humbly with others as well. The strength of a man is not uh, in how big his horse is, you know, like John Wayne, or the hat, kind of hat he wears, um, or how many he can whip and uh, beat up on the, st on the stage, you know, on the TV. Uh, the strength of a man is demonstrated in his gentleness, his hum humility, which really means power under control. Power under control. And um, men, we live in a, in a society, in a day and a time, when you watch TV, there are not many gentlemen portrayed as heroes on the screen. Uh, men are ridiculed, made fun of. Women, not so much. I think that's biased, ladies. 
It shouldn't be done to start with for either sex, but to pick out one sex and to berate them in public is not Christian. Jesus never berated a woman nor a man. The only people he scolded were the self-righteous religious leaders who were called scribes and Pharisees in order to help them to understand that they of all people were filled with selfish pride, narcissism, and um, abused other people. And he called them snakes. You snakes, he said. And he preached as a prophet would preach to them, woe unto you. Woe unto you, because um, you are facing the judgment of God, because God gets angry about pride, God is angry about self-righteousness, and when we are men walking around in this world with pride and self-righteousness, we are opposed to the ways of God. God created this world, and He made it a moral world. And people live under God's moral laws. Uh, the book of Romans says that even those who have no law, who don't understand the Ten Commandments, never had the Ten Commandments, know that instinctively. Human beings know that instinctively, that there is right and there is wrong. And so we have been born with this innate nature, this living soul that God breathed into us, this nephesh, that's the Hebrew word for the living soul, we have been born with this moral compass because we live in a moral universe and it is the moral compass of God that will guide us in the right direction. So let me talk a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit and then 1 Corinthians 13 and a passage that Paul uses in there because I'm going to use that passage a little more uh, later in the sermon. That'll be actually point two. When you think about the fruit of the Spirit, think about a harvest. After the rain today, it looks like we're going to get a good bump in our corn crop around here and soybeans, and that'll help with the harvest. Well, God also comes to nourish your soul and your heart by the presence and power of His Holy Spirit and grace and mercy in your life. God is good, and the goodness of God lives in you and reigns in you. The joy of God, Jesus said, I want you to have my joy in you, that your joy might be full. So when you come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, it's not just a sin problem that's removed, but there's something taking its place. Jesus warned us about, in the parable, about the woman who swept the house, and when the house was swept clean, seven greater demons came in because nothing was there to take its place. So in thinking about the cross and the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what did God accomplish on the cross of Christ, He took care of the sin problem, swept it away, if you will, but He didn't stop there. He put Himself in you. He put Himself in you. And He is in you in the Holy Spirit of God. Paul said, do you not know that you, your body is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God? And so when God reigns in us and lives through us, it transforms our life, brings the joy of God into our life, 
brings the fruit of his joy into our life. And when we think fruit of the Spirit, we think harvest of the Spirit. What is the evidence? What's the fruit that bears evidence that we are empowered by God himself? That's what I love about being a Christian. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd be so depressed. I don't know why I'm depressed all the time. You know, I, I grew up kind of tough. Um, didn't know I was as poor as we were, but, you know, everybody else looked just like us, so we didn't know any different. And as I get older, I think, my goodness, how did we make it? But we did. Because my dad worked hard. Dad was the milkman. Dad carried milk door to door. Y'all, y'all have that in Brandenburg at one time? Milkman carried milk door to door and left it on the front porch. Um, now we're scared to even, uh, you know, we don't dare take the milk to the house anymore. You have to get it at the, at the gro- grocery store. Uh, but used to you couldn't get it. People didn't go to town that often, and the milkman brought it to your house. And so uh, my dad was the milkman. He worked, that's hard work. You're up before daylight. You leave home before daylight. You don't come home till after the day daylight. You have to work with the public. You get robbed because your milk truck is, has two doors on each side, and it's open, and there's this little cash thing that he uses to make change with, and he would often get robbed, and, and nobody ever held him up with a gun, but he's in an automobile accident one time, almost killed him. Just You think you could see a big milk truck coming down the road, you know, but... Uh, kids not paying attention, distracted, even before there were cell phones. But Dad worked hard. And um, Dad provided a living for us, Mom and three, three boys. And he taught us how to work, too. And taught us how to work out of that milk truck. And taught us that we didn't want to deliver milk for a living when we got older. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, let me get back here, I can recite it myself, but I want to read it. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I skipped patience because I wanted to go to gentleness today. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility or gentleness, and then self-control. As we think about this message today, how to become a Christian gentleman, I I think it's it's a lost ideal today. It's a lost ideal. We seem to want a man in the house uh, that will be rough and tough and take care of the family and take care of all the problems but we have lost this idea of being a gentleman. A gentleman who has wisdom, a gentleman who has compassion, a gentleman who has empathy, a gentleman who has the wisdom of God, a gentleman who is powerful but doesn't have to show it all the time. It's just there and it can be used when it's necessary. And when we think about being a Christian gentleman, we think about Jesus, who is the example of humility, God with us. He was humble enough that he would empty himself, the Bible says, and he would leave heaven and he came to earth 
And he took upon the form of our likeness, our humanity, and all the pitifulness of what it's like to live in this world and be tempted by sin. And he himself tempted, but yet did not give in to any of those temptations. And Jesus had many occasions where he could have shown force, but he not only resisted that, but he told Peter, don't do that. Peter wanted to cut off the ear of the soldier, and Jesus said, that's not the kingdom of God. Jesus had the power to be raised from the dead, but he repaired the ear of the man that Peter was angry with. That is a gentle man. I want to talk to you about three steps to take today to allow the Holy Spirit of God to bring the gentleness of God into your life so that men you will grow to or man up if you will to be a gentle man number one start every day with a nude relationship with Christ and your family start every day with a renewed relationship with Christ and your family. First of all, make sure that you're saved and that you've asked Jesus to come into your life and forgive you of sin. If you have done that, you have an identity that is brand new. You're no longer who your daddy told you you were. You're no longer who your aunts and uncles and grandparents told you who you were. You're no longer who your kinfolks you grew up with that made fun of you or the people at school that bullied you said you were, you now have an identity to embrace, and that is you are a son of God. You are a child of God. Every day when you wake up, you need to renew that relationship with Christ and say, Father, thank you that I am your son. Girls, remember that you are the father's daughter, just as you the boy is the father's son, you are the father's daughter. And when you wake up every morning, you are not who your parents say you are. You are not who your grandparents say you are. You are not who the bullies at school say you are. You are the daughter, sweet daughter of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who you are. That's your identity. And when you wake up every day, You need to look in the mirror and say to yourself, I am loved by Jesus. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. That's who I am. Because Paul talks in Galatians about putting on the new self. And this new self that you are is not the self you were given from your family of origin, but it is the self that you've been given to be like Jesus Christ. And you will always carry around with you. You will never get away from your family of origin. But those tapes that you've heard about who you were growing up is not all of who you are. You are so much more. And you are so precious. And you are so valued by God. Paul does write about this in Galatians chapter 3. He says, for you are all sons of God. And I would add, when he says sons, he's talking about humanity, meaning sons and daughters, men and women. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, you're, You're not a child of God because you grew up cute. You're not a child of God because you grew up with a brain and you can outsmart everybody else. You're not a child of God because you've earned it, 
but because by faith alone in Jesus Christ, He has given you this identity. It is a gift from God. In verse 7, he goes on to say, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son. Because you are who you are, because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And Paul puts an exclamation point by both of those words. And that word Abba means dad. It's a term of intimacy that would never be used by the Jewish people of the Old Testament day. They didn't even call the name of God because it was so holy. And Jesus said, you have now such a close and awesome relationship with holy God that you can call him daddy. That's how intimate that word is. So he sends his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave. You're not just a servant. You're not just a hired hand, but you are a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. What God has given Jesus, he has also given to you. God gave to Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is yours. God has give, gave to Jesus the power to overcome sin through the Holy Ghost. God has given you that same power and that same strength. You are everything that God has given to Jesus Christ. He's given to you. You are an heir of God. It's time we look ourselves in the mirror and say, forget about the old tapes, forget about what everybody else thinks. I need to think about myself as God thinks about me. Now that's not to be arrogant. That won't make you arrogant. That will make you humble. <laughs> that will make you humble. Because you know that you don't deserve that title. You know that you didn't earn that title. And you know that it is God's mercy and God's grace in your life that gave you that name. So the name that you bear is the name of Christ. And you are sons, daughters of God. A son of God is to have a humble spirit toward God as Jesus had toward his heavenly Father. And sons of God also have a compassionate spirit for those around him or her. Uh, uh, toward family, those you live with, those you go to school with. How many of you have ever heard of identity theft? Anybody heard of identity theft? I was reading this week some statistics on this. 60 million people say that they have been the victim of identity theft. Can you believe that? 60 million people. In 2017, 17,000 people officially registered and said to the officials, uh, police or their bank, my identity has been stolen. I need a new, new social security card. I need a new bank account. I need a new credit card. 17 million in one year. 17 million in one year. When I think about identity theft, I think about what Satan's trying to do to every Christian believer who has that name, Son of God. He's doing everything he can to steal your identity. He's doing everything he can to take away from you the honor and the title of a child of God. There's no greater title you'll ever have in your name than to say, I am a child of God by the grace of God. Paul wrote to the Galatian church 
And he warned them about this identity theft. And he says in chapter 3, Oh, you foolish Galatians. These are believers. These are saints of God. He said, Who bewitched you? Who fooled you into believing another gospel other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? One of the ways, and I guess just two ways Satan tries to steal your identity. One very subtle way he tries to take away your identity is through peer pressure. You will be more afraid of people than you are of God. When you get to the point that you're more afraid of what other people think of you than you are what God thinks of you, you have allowed them to become your God. Peer pressure. Nothing stronger to bring us away. There's powerful forces in the world. When you walk out of this building, you are exposed to the pressures and of the values of this God-forsaken society that we live in, this deteriorating, this decaying world in which we live in, and you will be shamed and blamed and booed and called everything in the world except gentle because you believe in Jesus Christ. And there's a ton of pressure for you to conform. Another way we, uh, Satan steals our identity is to, instead of focusing on Christ, we just focus on ourselves and what others think about us, what others think about our talents, and what others think about our achievements. So it's important every day every day, that we start the day when we look ourselves in the mirror and you're going to put on your makeup or you're going to put on your, uh, you know, your shaving cream and, and get ready for, for the day, say to yourself, I'm an heir of Christ. I'm a child of God. There's no greater name to bear as a believer. There's no greater responsibility to have than that name of the Lord Jesus Christ labeled on us as Christian. Be proud that people are calling you Christian. It's become a derogatory name in our politics. It's become a derogatory name in our culture, in our schools, because people will snarl at you, make fun of you, isolate you, try to get away from you. But I tell you, you just be the child that God created you to be. Listen, when I was a college student, um, the alcohol and uh, marijuana was the two biggest drugs on campus. I don't think anybody got into cocaine. But I loved Jesus at that time. God had called me to preach, and I went on to college. I had a, a year preaching in different pulpits, and I listened to the Imperials, and, and I, loved, uh, I loved gospel music, and I loved Jesus. And I just sang all the time, and I preached about every Sunday somewhere. And I didn't know it, but I went all the way through college, and nobody offered me a drink of alcohol. I was never offered a drink of alcohol, not one time. I was never offered drugs, not one time. And I didn't go around with a I'm better than you attitude. I just went around singing about Jesus and didn't realize how dumb I looked to other people. Until one day I went back to that college campus and I went... I thought, I'm going to walk back through the dorm just to kind of look around. I got up about to third floor, and the lady that was cleaning the rooms there, and she said, I remember you. I said, yes, ma'am, you do? She said, yeah, you're that boy that sang all the time. 
Well, when you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're full of Christ, you don't give a flip what the world thinks about you. You don't give a flip as to what other people... That peer pressure doesn't mean a thing in the world to you. You want to praise the Lord. And people will be afraid to offer you drugs. People will be afraid to offer you alcohol. People will be afraid to approach you. Amen? Oh, no. Thank you. Number two. Moving toward gentleness. Or becoming a gentle man. Step up to the task of being an adult in your family. It's about the third Sunday I've talked about that. Step up to the task of being the adult in your family. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. That's a huge, huge insight to becoming a gentleman. It says here, there are thoughts and actions of children that Paul behaved at a certain age of life. But when he was transformed to another age, an adult age in life, he let all of that go. What's the difference? Well, you all have dealt with children. You know what childish behaviors are. Let me name two of them. In childish behaviors, we behave according to our feelings, not our thoughts. We behave according... Children behave as they feel. I mean, it's just that quick. It's a reactivity. They don't think rationally through what they're about to say or do. They just react. Now, it's really, young people, until you get to be about 26 years old, but this part of the brain right here does not fully develop. But somehow when you hit 26, it's about as strong as it's ever going to be. That's the rational, thinking, logical part of your brain. And if you're dealing with children, middle schoolers, more than any other age, and, and a lot of high schoolers and a lot of college-age students and wonder, why in the world did they do that? I have told them, and I have told them, and I have told them. Well, it's that part of the brain right there. It's the rational, logical, weighing out the pluses and minuses. Do I really want to do that? What's still in charge is the feeling part of the brain. That's way down in here, and you were all born with that part. And it's still in charge. And Paul said, when I was a child, that part of the brain wasn't in charge. And uh, this feeling part of the brain was in charge. I acted like a child. I spoke as a child. I did what children do. But when I grew up, when I became a man. Now he's saying all this in the context of the love chapter. All right? And it takes a real man to act lovingly toward his family and to be the adult that the family needs in the family. And Paul said, let's don't behave like children, let's be like men. And there are other passages in the Bible, he just tells them straight out, be men. Be men. Grow up, be men. 
don't act out of your feelings. Act out of your values and your goals. That's the difference. Children resist enduring discomfort. It is hard for them to delay gratitude. But an adult can delay gratitude. We can do that. But when we are acting like children, we just can't wait. We get impulsive. So our feelings take over instead of our godly wisdom that we learn when we learn from the Word of God. The, God, the, the Word of wisdom does not retrain your feeling part. It gives you the rational part to think through what you're feeling right now. I'll give you an example. Miss Linda reminded me this week that, um, you know, I told you we went to Mississippi last week, didn't I? And I bought 20 pounds of the fresh catfish comes out of them ponds down there in Mississippi. And in order to make room for them, I had to pull out a big bag of, of um, crappie that not, it wasn't given to me by you all, it was somebody from Parkland. I had to pull out a big bag first, get those little ones in place, and then I was going to put the big bag back in. Well, I forgot to put the big bag back in. Well, during the week, this last week, I kept smelling something down in the basement. And uh, she did too, and I said, that smells like a dead rat. What have we got doing with a dead rat in our basement? wonder where that's coming from. So one day it got real strong, and I chased it down, and I found it on the countertop by the freezer. And there was that bag of all those crappie that some poor individual caught right down here in this lake. Um, and they were ruined. And I wouldn't dare unzip that bag. And I gently took it outside. Well, everything that bag touched had caught all of that putrid smell. My wife, in her wisdom, after we've been married 41 years, did not come upstairs and say to me, Tom, the basement stinks. Why don't you clean up your mess? Has she said that? The basement stinks. Why don't you clean up that fish mess down there that you made? I probably would have acted like a child, at least tempted to. I would have said, what do you mean clean up that mess down here? Don't you know that I went down there and paid for all them fish? Don't you know that I froze all those fish? Don't you know that I put all those fish in there? And, uh, you know, those things just, you know, and here we go. Now we're in an argument. Well, guess what? When I react like a child... I'm not reacting to Linda. I'm reacting to my mother. He used to say to me, pick up your underwear and put them in the dirty clothes. Pick up your socks and put them in the dirty clothes. See that? And so, God bless her, she came to me and she said, next time that happens, Help me understand how bad it really is so I can help you.
You guys ought to give her an applause. I'll tell you, that's, that was wisdom. Help me understand. That's what I remember her saying. Help me understand. And we worked it out together. The basement is spotless clean now. You don't smell anything down there but fabuloso. You see, we are in conflict as adults with each other because the language we use is like childhood language rather than adulthood language. And in that reactivity, in that reactive moment like a child, I'm not really reacting to you. I'm reacting to things I heard from my family of origin and I hadn't worked it out yet. Paul says, put on the new self where you can be adult and mature and you can be the kind of man that speaks like an adult to your family. And you know what? Your kids will grow up to that adultness. Your grandchildren will grow up to that adultness. They will meet that challenge. So instead of berating kids, instead of nagging them and nagging them on and on, Paul goes very uh, deep in uh, Colossians about this and saying, uh, "Do not agitate your children to anger." Talking to the fathers, challenge them. Don't try to rescue them, but challenge them. And let them learn how to solve their own problems. Let them live with discomfort. Don't try to save your child from discomfort. They need that. A child in discomfort will figure out a way to find a negotiation. A way to deal with it. A way to... Uh, to win but if you're always saving them from discomfort if you're always trying to rescue them then they never learn how to do it for themselves and you're not always going to be around to do it for them they'll marry somebody that will do it for them gentle man there's another point to this passage, but my time is up. Maybe we'll deal with it next Sunday when we talk about self-control. It goes well with that sermon as well. I pray that today's message has been a blessing to you. It's been a blessing to be with you and to see you, mask and all. And uh, it helps me to preach much, much better when you pull, pull your mask down. It really does. When Vicki sticks her tongue out at me, I know I did, said something I probably shouldn't have. So that, that, that helps me. Thank you, V. All right, we're going to give our invitation at this point. Let's stand together. Let's pray as we seek the Lord. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for your love and mercy and goodness in our life. You're always giving us second opportunities to do it better, to follow more faithfully, to be more gentle like Jesus to not let our 
feelings be the power within us, but let the Holy Spirit be the power within us to deal with conflict as Jesus did, with wisdom and the Word of God. Lord, thank you for this great church. Thank you for blessing us in the COVID virus. Keep us safe. Keep us, Lord, in tune with you and your purposes for our church. Let us not lag behind nor grow uh, weary in well-doing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.